have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the first book in the New Testament, the Gospel according to Matthew, one of the disciples of Jesus, one of his inner circle, the apostles, an eyewitness testimony telling about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is found in Matthew chapter 28. And our Easter celebration is all about the resurrection, although somewhere along the way, some stuff got snuck in there about uh, eggs and uh, chocolate and candy and baskets and ham. I don't know at what point ham became the staple, unless maybe your family does something a little bit different. That's fine, too. However you celebrate Easter, there's a lot of festivities around it, and well-deserved, because it is the most climactic event in human history, is what we are here to commemorate today. Because there's no other so-called prophet or religious leader or faith system where the leader of it rose from the dead. Jesus stands alone. He's in a class by himself. The resurrection of Jesus is essential to our faith because it is what defines our faith. It defines our church. It defines the message that I'm sharing with you today. And we love Easter. And I love a story that was told by a pastor named Ed Ross, which was told to me by another pastor. So I've never met Ed Ross. But, but he told the story of when he went shopping with his daughter for her Easter dress. That's one of the traditions, right? Get a, get a new dress for Easter, a colorful dress. So they're shopping, and she's so excited. She couldn't wait for Easter to come. She's three years old. Her, daughter, her name's Nicole, and she picks out this new dress. And, of course, if you get a new dress, don't you need new shoes to go with it? So they stop, and they, they're getting the new shoes, and she just keeps repeating over and over, because that's what little ones do. I can't wait for Easter, Daddy. I can't wait for Easter. And he asked her, okay, do you know what Easter means? Because he's a pastor, and you know, pastors, we got to make sure that our kids understand what is going on here. She said, yes, sir, I do know. He says, what does Easter mean? And she raises her arms, and she's got this big smile on her face. She says, surprise! <laughs> surprise! I think, I think she did understand, at least to some extent. That is what Easter is about. This is what the story of the resurrection is. And I'd like to take us back to that morning so long ago when God blew all expectations out of the water for what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, for what hope that his gospel brings to us. So this morning as we come to Matthew 28, I want to answer two questions. First, briefly, we need to cover what is the resurrection? What, what is it? And we talk about um, Jesus coming back to life, and, and how do we know that? We're going to look at the testimony, the written account of that. We're going to look at the miracle, which if you're not sure what a miracle is, you know, God created natural laws to govern our universe and our world, our created order under his leadership. But sometimes, for his purpose and will, God intervenes and circumvents the own natural order that he has created to demonstrate his power, power that you and I do not possess, but God as creator does. So we'll look at the miracle of the resurrection, and then we'll also look at why the resurrection took place and why it was necessary. It's not just there for us to say, oh, wow, what a cool story. Let's go eat some ham. It's life-changing. And if I can share one main point this morning, it is this. The empty grave demonstrates the power of God to bring life to unexpected places. The empty grave demonstrates the power of God to bring life to unexpected places. Let me read the first 10 verses of Matthew 28. Now, after the Sabbath, 
Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord, descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the Roman guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they, the women, departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them on the way. He said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. I could keep going. The whole chapter 28 tells us a whole lot about what happens next. But let's park and focus on those first ten verses. Because we're told those two questions, or the answer to those two questions. First of all, what happened at the tomb? Well, if you're talking about the natural events that everyone can agree on, and this absolutely happened, although you'll see also the supernatural clearly happened as well, but even an unbeliever will admit, okay, there was a man named Jesus of Nazareth, and he was killed around 30 or 33 AD and in Jerusalem, and, uh, and he had a great following. He, he proclaimed to be a prophet. Well, the, the scripture narrative shows us that it was Jesus' enemies that sought to kill him, out of rivalry, out of jealousy, they hated him. And Jesus was betrayed by a close friend named Judas, which is how they were able to come in the middle of the night and arrest them away from the crowds because the crowds would not allow that to happen. He was put through a midnight trial. At first light on, on uh, Friday morning, he was sentenced. Judgment was passed and he was taken to the Roman courts where Pilate, the governor of Jerusalem, uh, or uh, of Judea, was, was um, pressured into putting Jesus on the cross. And as the ladies read earlier, he was then taken from the cross after he died, and he was laid in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man who owned this tomb, and no one else had been buried there. It was a new tomb. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke record the testimony that several women attended Jesus' funeral and they saw where he was buried. They saw the body laid in the tomb. They saw the, the stone rolled over. They were there at the graveside service, you could say. And there was no doubt about where it was because then the Pharisees went to Pilate and said, hey, we need some guards to guard this tomb to make sure his disciples don't try any funny business. Pilate says, okay, go make it as secure as you can. I love that phrase. Make it as secure as you can. So they rolled this big stone over it, which weighed about 2,000 to 4,000 pounds. Not this little tiny stone. And even the latest research suggests that not only was the exterior round, but there was even a square notch cut in the back of it so it fit into the opening. So imagine how much strength and how many men it would take to put that stone in place after you have rolled it. It's the size of a, a car, pretty much. One to two tons. So those are the natural events. No one disputes that. 
Let's look at the supernatural events, which I believe we also should not dispute because it's from the same record. In the wee hours of Sunday morning, the first day of the week after the Sabbath, there's a great what? Earthquake. And an angel of the Lord came from heaven. John chapter 20, verse 12 says that there were two angels. Matthew just directed us to the one angel who speaks in his narrative. And these angels look like lightning. They're terrifying. And if you and I saw them, we would run for fear. We've never seen warriors like this. They don't exist in our dimension. They're from the heavenly dimension. And so the guards fall flat and they lay as dead men. And this angel, or two angels, just roll the stone back. They didn't need 10 Roman soldiers. They had that strength. They did it. And it's a big deal that the stone was rolled away. Why? Because inside there's no body anymore. A dead man has come back to life, physically and literally. Not just symbolically, although it symbolizes so much, Jesus came back to life. And here's what the angel says. Don't believe that Jesus is raised from the dead because I say so. It says, he is not here among the dead. He is risen as he said. Jesus said he was going to do this. And he did. That's what you put your faith in. The message of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus. This is what he said he would do. And then the eyewitnesses tell us that Jesus appeared to the women on the way. We read about that. He appears to the disciples in a locked room in the upper room. He appears to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And, and um, uh, Acts and Corinthians tell us that he appeared to hundreds more. He appeared to his own family, turning even his brothers, who were skeptics, into believers. That's power. That's proof. And if you're a skeptic and you're a doubter, you know someone who is, and you say, I, I just find this too hard to believe. I've never seen someone raised from the dead, and, and that just doesn't happen. I agree with you. It doesn't just happen. But think with me. If you have a brain, and I think you do, you know that there is design and a creative mind behind all of creation. There is order. There is structure. There is a reason we are here. If God could create all of this, is it really that hard to think that he could raise someone from the dead? I, mean, I wouldn't even be here or have breath if it was not for God. And if you're a skeptic, I encourage you, look at these firsthand witnesses, this eyewitness testimony. And if you were on a jury and you had to believe these disciples who one day were terrified, locked in a room, denying Jesus, scared for their life. And the next day, they're out preaching in the streets, identifying with Jesus and saying he rose from the dead. You look at that testimony, or you look at the guards who say, well, the disciples stole the body, and, and that's why the tomb is empty. Wouldn't you want to ask them, well, how did they steal the body? Well, we were sleeping. You were sleeping. And your shift was only three hours long, because Roman guards took shifts through the night. Only three hours. Okay, let's say you were sleeping. You didn't hear that big stone get rolled away? And then how do you know it was the disciples that stole the body? If you were in fact asleep, why didn't you pursue them? Is that not your whole job? You could call a whole garrison of Roman soldiers right there in the city, pursue those disciples, put them on the cross because they're guilty of what you're accusing Jesus of. It just doesn't add up. Jesus rose from the dead. 
There's no other logical explanation. And even though it is miraculous, God is fully capable of doing so. And he did because he said he would. So why did Jesus rise from the dead? Now we're getting to the meat of the text. What is the angel teaching us? What do we take from this text? We see that the resurrection shows the power of God in three ways. First of all, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one as he said he was. Now, what God says is true. God is not a liar. There is no deceit or falsehood found in him. It's hard for you and I to understand, though, because we're at least tempted to lie. We, at some point in our lives, have lied, and we certainly acknowledge that people lie to us all the time. Yes? They do. So, I understand. It's, it's, it's totally natural to say, can I really trust everything that God has said to me? Can I really trust everything that's in this word? Look to Jesus. And I would do a disservice if I didn't say, you got to read the first 27 chapters of Matthew before you get to the resurrection. So if you don't have a Bible reading plan or you haven't read the Bible before, start with the book of Matthew. See who Jesus is, what he did, and he claimed to be the one prophesied about in the Old Testament. I don't know if you know this, but Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a title. It means anointed one or Messiah, the one who would fulfill all of the prophecies that God made to Abraham and David and Moses. And he said, one day there will be a king over all and his kingdom will never end. It's eternal. It does not die. Okay. But he also will come and he will suffer as a servant and he will be whipped and he will be beaten. Jesus was whipped. Jesus was beaten. Jesus was killed on the cross, even though he was innocent. But if he would have stayed in the grave, we have no hope that his kingdom will never end. Because it did end, right? At least that's what the disciples thought. That's what the Pharisees thought. But God is the God of the unexpected. And Jesus told his disciples over and over, I will die and I will rise again. I will die and I will rise again. And what happened with the, the disciples? In one ear and out the other, just like it would with you and I. Let's be honest. I, I've never seen that before. I, surely Jesus is just speaking metaphorically here. To really come back from the grave? Yes, because Jesus is God in human flesh. He says, I have the power to lay down my life and to take it back up again. And I couldn't help but notice this, this example in Matthew 27, 51. When Jesus dies, there's an earthquake. That shakes all of Jerusalem and makes everyone notice, even the Roman centurion, oh snap, truly, this guy is the son of God. I don't know anything about the Old Testament. I don't know anything about this Messiah, but that guy is the son of God. I can tell you that right now. The earthquake when he dies, what happens when he rises from the dead? Another earthquake. Because for the son of God to step back into the fabric of time and space and this world changes everything, shakes things up physically and symbolically. So come and see the place where he lay. The gospel of God is not blind faith. There is proof. I have been to Jerusalem. I have seen these places as described in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Those places are there. Those buildings were there. I've even stepped on the steps. I should have put a picture up here. I'll show you another time. I stepped on the steps where Jesus was judged by Pilate. 
the steps are still there and they're jutting out from an old Byzantine wall that was kind of constructed behind it. But you can walk up to where Pilate stood judging Jesus and where Jesus would have stood as the defendant. It's there. It's historically accurate. And you go there today and the tomb is empty. So what do we do with this resurrected Christ? We worship him. Look at the women in verse 9. The women worship at his feet. Who is this that commands the winds, the waves, the storm? And he can take his life back up again? He has the power over death. And Peter and the disciples are so amazed when they encounter the risen Christ. They are emboldened to get out of the locked doors, to go outside into the city streets, and to preach to the Israelites, you killed the Messiah. That's pretty bold. Do you want to get sent to the cross too? Because that, that's about what's the happening. They didn't care because we've seen the risen Christ. And they preach the gospel to the Israelites in Acts chapter 2. And they say, well, what do we do then? Yeah, okay. We killed the Messiah. We screwed up. We're, we're a bunch of messed up people. What do we do now? Here's how we respond. We repent of our sins and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There it is. Repent and believe. Jesus is alive, and he saves all those who hear his word and trust him. That's why we talk about faith so much. Faith is not blind. Not even a little bit. God has proven that he is trustworthy, and the record is here to prove it. And the Spirit testifies inside of us. We know this is true. That's why we're here. That's why we're listening. We know this is true. We step forward in faith because God is at work in us. But faith is not based on my righteousness, my goodness. Because I'm a pastor, you think that's what saves me? Or you think you're a good person, you think that's what saves you? No. Romans tells us we are justified by grace, God's gift, His Son Jesus, and we're justified by faith. God gave a gift. Do you believe and receive it? Or do you think, thanks for the gift, but I also need to try to do good works to get into heaven? doesn't work like that. Either Jesus is the risen one and has power over all and God keeps his promises, or we have to add on to that. We don't. Put your faith in God and in his gospel. It's okay if you came in here today expecting not a whole lot to happen. You hear a nice message, you're part of worship service, it's Easter Sunday, you go home, and your life stays the same. Those women came to the tomb expecting to find Jesus' body there. It's okay to come in with just ho-hum expectations. Oh, maybe God's up there, maybe he's not. But once you recognize that Jesus is the risen Christ, you have to do something with that. Either you accept him or Jesus is a liar because you're saying he has not risen as he said. Which is it? Is Jesus a liar or am I? And I need to repent of that. I don't get to have it both ways. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you have his Holy Spirit inside of you. Are you daily walking in light of that joy? Is his peace covering you? Are there parts of your life that you're keeping compartmentalized and tucked away and hidden from God? You want to do your thing? And you know, Jesus is the Messiah. He is Lord over all. He is the one who was promised. He is the one who's coming back. 
So I encourage you, don't do a religious game. You, 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 you come to worship and you, you act like a Christian, but in your heart, Christ is not Lord. Turn fully to him. Be fully devoted to him. Because he was fully devoted to us all the way to the cross. The empty grave is a victory cry. And I want you to know the victory and the joy that comes in every part of your life. Here's another thing that Jesus did that shows the power of God. Secondly, we see that Jesus turned disciples into brothers. Disciples into brothers. I don't know if you know this, but in all of our gospel accounts of Jesus, the word disciple is used so often. And I would encourage you all, in your vocabulary, use that word instead of, I'm a Christian. A lot of people say they're Christians. It's, it's, it's a title, but, but the cultural Christian who just kind of lumps himself in with Jesus without actually following Jesus, that's foreign to the New Testament. The New Testament says, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you follow him. You're in a relationship with him. You walk with him. You love him. You know him. But never in Jesus' teachings does he refer to his disciples as brothers. He says, those who keep my father's word will be called my mother, my brother, my sister. But he never goes up to Peter and he says, hey, Peter, brother, come with me. So isn't it interesting? When Jesus is risen and he appears to the women, he says, hey, tell my brothers this is where they'll find me. Something's different. Something's changed. The resurrection has changed the relationship the disciples had with Jesus. Not just followers trying to figure things out. But there's been a change inside that will take place that now brings them into the family of God. And you know we're talking about the same people because in verse 7, the angel called them disciples and said, go tell them where they can find Jesus. And Jesus meets them in verse 9 and 10 and says, this is where they will find me. Same men you're going to. And they're brothers. What happened here? Why brothers? Is this just like, you know, hey, bro, let's go hang out. No, brother is a specific term referring to the family of God. John 1 tells us Jesus came to his own and his, home, his own did not receive him. The Jews kicked Jesus out. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And we were born not of blood or out of will of the flesh. I'm going to be a child of God. No. We were born by the will of God and adopted into his family. All those who come by faith in the risen Christ, our relationship is different. Yes, we are disciples of Jesus. We want to be fully devoted to Jesus. We obey his teachings, but we're also family. We're brought in. I, I've, got a, I've got a picture for you. Um, I think uh, one of these slides should be a picture of our, our first Easter fellowship as a church. Because I meant, I meant to mention this earlier, but we are a new church. We launched in September, and we are a growing community. Uh, but we can, we can all fit under one roof right now. You guys would have made it a little bit, a little bit tighter, but we still would have fit, right? If you, if you were back for your honeymoon. But look at the family that gathers together under one roof. People from all different backgrounds and ethnic groups, languages, um, levels of income, uh, whether we're from Florida or from out of Florida, look at the family that God brings together. The only thing we have in common is Jesus. He is our Savior. 
He has saved us. And God is our Father. And we love him together. We, we are one family. That's what a church is. A church is made up of people who are called by the name of God. And Jesus doesn't look down on us. He doesn't say, oh, those disciples, they betrayed me. They're traitors. I hate them. I can't say, get out of my sight. Now he says, I knew you were going to fail me. That's why I came. So even when we fail, that relationship with the Father does not change. So it's not based on my performance. Were you a scoundrel this past week and, and defied God's law and rejected his word? Yeah, we've all been there. We've all done that. We're all sinners. And that's why we all need Jesus. And the moment you put your faith in Jesus, you are adopted into God's family. And he'll never let you go. The relationship has begun, and it's close, and it's intimate. The cross was the payment. The tomb is the, is the receipt. Right? The resurrection is proof that Jesus paid it all. He is who he says he is. So my old way of living is passing away. And my priorities look different with my relationships. Because I'm no longer living for myself. I'm living to God. And I now care for and love these total strangers that have also been brought into God's family. And that's why we felt led to start Living Hope Church in North Sarasota. Because we love our Father, and we love people, and we want to see people's lives change by the gospel. And one of the reasons we felt led to start a church in North Sarasota is because there's so many people that could care less if Jesus rose from the dead. They could care less if God wants to be their Father. They're here for a good time. They're here to, to get their career going, get their business off the ground, to relax by the beach. I'm not here for spiritual things. I'm not interested. You know what? Those are the people I want to reach with the gospel because you don't know what you're missing out on. Let me tell you the best story you've ever heard. But if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, I have no good news to offer them because there's no money in the account that I'm offering them. I heard a, um, someone say in a song lyric the other day, before the cross, we were saved on credit. After the cross, we were saved on debit. His grace, his blood's covered everything. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how far you've run from God. I don't care what you've said about him. How many times have you cursed his name? You know what? It's all covered under the blood of Jesus. Put your faith in him. Repent. Be baptized in his name. And you will have the same father that we do. Here's the third demonstration of God's power, and I'll be done. Jesus rose to demonstrate the good news is for all people. It's for everybody. Not just the disciples. Not just you, you people that are raised in a Christian background. The good news is meant to go out to all. Look first at the angels. What's an angel? It's a heavenly being, but the word angel means messenger. So this angel is coming... Excuse me, because he is a witness. He has already seen the resurrected Christ. He's in, he's in heaven. He's ascended. And then he came back from the grave. The angels seen it all while everyone else was sleeping and they couldn't even see it because they were in the earthly realm at the moment. The angel says, this is what's happened in heaven. And it has now entered into earth. It's entered into your realm. I'm here as a messenger. I'm here as a witness. All the heavenly hosts will know this. And I'm going to roll back the stone. Not so Jesus can get out, but so we can see in. He is risen. The grave clothes are there, but Jesus ain't. He's gone. And then the angels pass on the good news to who? A couple of women. 
Where are the disciples? Disciples aren't there. Of course, the women were disciples, but I'm talking about the, the, the 11 that were still remaining because Judas killed himself. They're locked in a room somewhere. But these women came expecting to find the body and, and to, to wrap him up, and put, some, put some more ointment on him and, and, and to mourn some more. And one of the women, her name was Mary Magdalene, and Luke chapter 8, verse 2 tells us that this lady used to be demon-possessed. She had at least seven demons in her. But in the Bible, the number seven, that's, that's like a number of completion. So it's possible that that is a, a metaphorical number referring to the fact that she was just dominated and controlled and abused and afflicted by satanic forces. Imagine the, the pathetic scene that she would have been under the control of a demon. I don't know if you've ever seen someone demon-possessed. It doesn't happen as often today as it did in Jesus' day because Satan was really trying to distract from what Jesus came to do. But it does happen today. And it's terrifying to be around someone who's possessed by a demon. Especially if they've been abused or afflicted or they're falling into fires. And, and it's just, those are the people that you would stay clear from because we don't know what to do with them. I don't have the power to help that person. There's not enough therapy in the world that could do what you need done. And what did Jesus do? He had compassion on her. He brought those demons out, changed her life, and now she is a devoted follower of Jesus. Jesus does the unexpected. And Chris and Nadia read the scriptures for us, and I asked them to, thank you ladies, because I love that when, when the men are hiding, Jesus will tell the women, He'll show them. He'll bring them in. And it's amazing because under Jewish law, do you know that the testimony of a woman would not hold up in court? It was, it was a, a patriarchal, cultural um, issue that a woman could say, this is what I saw happen. And if a man contradicted her, I, I mean, that testimony is not valid because you are a woman. But Jesus said, I'll show you the good news. Come in close. My angel will pass it on to you. You'll be the first to see. He is risen. You are loved. You are valued. You are equal in my kingdom. Now I have a mission for you. Just like I had a mission for the angel. Now you need to go and tell. You go and tell the disciples. Tell them he's risen. Tell them to meet me in Galilee. Pass the word along. Because the disciples weren't super spiritual either. So it's like... God uses angels, God uses women, God uses terrified disciples. It's almost like God's not looking for perfect people to enter his kingdom. Because there's no such thing. He will find all of us in our brokenness, where we are. Whether you're locked in a room terrified that you're going to be arrested next. Listen to the good news. Be that messenger. Receive it and pass it on. And when Jesus shows himself to the disciples... At the end of Matthew 28, this is the, the, the cry for the ages. This is why Matthew wrote the gospel, to show that Jesus is the reigning king. And now under his authority, he tells his disciples, now you go into all the world and make disciples. Go throughout all the world and teach them all that I have commanded them. And baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The reason Matthew doesn't record that at the beginning of the gospel, like, what? You know, what is this disciple thing? It really only makes sense once you understand who the risen king is. 
Once you understand that Jesus is the resurrected Messiah, now it makes sense. Why do I go share the good news with people in North Sarasota, Florida, Puerto Rico, and Indonesia, and Ireland? Because he is risen. And you need to hear what he can do with your life if you will believe in him and his Holy Spirit and his grace and his mercy come into you. Look at how much people matter to God. Even in the resurrection, Jesus is still caring for people. He's restoring. He's rescuing. He's commissioning. I want you to go and be my witnesses. So church, our testimony for Jesus, that shows people that God's grace really does work. And the cool thing is you don't have to have it all together. Because Jesus does. So in your testimony, when you share with people, here's why I love Jesus, you can tell them, yeah, I'm a scoundrel. <laughs> I, I've screwed up. Or, oh, you don't, you don't want to know who I was before I came to Jesus. Yeah, I'll, give you, I'll give you a little bit of a glimpse. So I'll spare you all the gory details. But then I met Jesus, and I realized he loved me anyways. Even though I was a lawbreaker, he was the law keeper. And he said, I shed my blood to save you from that life, to bring you into my family. So our heart beats for others because we want to see the joy of Jesus spread to all people everywhere. That's God's heart, and that's our heart. That's why we gather for worship on Sunday, to lift his name high. That's why we go out Monday, well, actually, as soon as worship is over, all through Saturday, we're on mission because people need to know about Jesus. Now, I want to share a story about uh, something that happened after our men's group on Wednesday. And I didn't get a chance to text our men and let them know this, but they faithfully come together for Bible study every Wednesday. Men, if you're, if you're free, Wednesday's at noon. We meet a Glory Days grill. We get in the work together. We encourage each other. We pray for each other. And we did that. We had a server uh, taking care of us. His name was Damon. And, and a really nice guy took good care of us. We asked him to take a picture of us, and, and, and he took a picture of our group. And then we prayed for him because we just felt the Lord directing us to hey, pray for this guy. You know, he hasn't stuck around long enough for us to talk, but let's just pray for him. So we prayed for him. And then as we're all leaving out and I'm about to walk out, I see him come out. Let me, let me talk to Damon for a second. I'll, I'll hang back. I'll talk to him. And I asked him, thinking, hey, I'll invite him to Easter Sunday worship. Hey, Damon, uh, what are you doing on Easter? I'm working a double. Uh, okay. And then, uh, then what? You hang out with your family? And now I'm flying back to, to Kansas. Oh, okay. Well, for vacation? Or So the story comes out. Damon is actually here in Sarasota trying to get around to cancer treatments. This is his third time. This is his final attempt to get the healing that he needs, and it didn't work. So now Damon is going to fly back to his family in Kansas and live out his remaining months or years. And, and, that, and that's it. His, his life is coming to an end. I said, Damon, do you know about Jesus? Do you know about his, his love for you and what he did for you on the cross and why we celebrate Easter? And, and I, I briefly work in the gospel just to see if he has understanding with me. And he says, you know, I was raised in a Catholic church and I, I know a lot of the Bible and I've read the Bible, but I'm just not convinced there's enough evidence that, that there is a God. And he's like, I'm not really an atheist, but you know, I'm kind of like, I'm respectful. I'm respectful to say, no, Damon, you know, the scriptures are clear of who Jesus is. And, and you know that. And 
And aren't you, aren't you curious as your days end to enter into a relationship with him, to receive him? He said, I'm just, you know, I hear that, but I'm just not, I'm not there. So I said, Damon, I'm going to pray for you anyways. You might not be interested in Jesus, but he sure is interested in you and he loves you. When you go back to your family, if you get the option, I want to encourage you to open up the Bible. And I want you to, to really search and see if, if Jesus is the Messiah. So I want to ask you, church, be praying for Damon. But also, how many other people in our community have a similar story? And who is going to be the witness to go to them and say, he's alive. He's risen as he said. He changed my heart. His spirit is inside of me. Faith is real if based in Jesus Christ. The empty grave shows the power of God and brings life to unexpected places. I want to invite the worship team up here. And uh, if someone wouldn't mind, uh, Alexis is, is going to come up. I want us to think about the resurrection this morning as if you're in a timeline. Here we are in the here and now. At some point in the past, 2,000 years ago, the historical reality is that Jesus rose from the dead. And as we look forward to the future, we know that he's coming back and will set up his kingdom in a new heaven and a new earth. And all those who are in Christ and in the family of God will reign with him. So I want you to think, mind the gap between past and future. How does the resurrection of Jesus Christ change your life today? What is different about today? Are you in a place of doubt and worry and fear? There's so much difficulty in the world. There's so much violence and, and death and destruction. And you're, you're really doubting. I mean, is there any hope? Is there any change happening? Is the gospel really powerful? The Holy Spirit shows us through the resurrection that there is hope for today. Because the women expected to find a dead body in the tomb. And they found a living Savior. And I don't know what you came in expecting to find today, but you can find that same truth for yourself. If you're overwhelmed at the darkness, ask Christ to show you his reality. Ask him to restore your joy. I can't do it, even as the messenger. You have to look in the word of God for yourself and search your heart to know that the spirit is telling you this is the truth. And Christian fellowship is something that only happens to those who put their faith in Christ. And when we do, we get a glimpse, a taste of what's still to come. You find people who love you for who you are and will be there for you and will meet your needs. And we're just a little taste of our Heavenly Father who has done all of that and more for us. Maybe you're here this morning and you've made some really bad decisions in your life. Like I know I have. A, a terrible decision maker. You've got regrets. You got maybe debt. You've got uh, broken relationships and and impulses that got you in a bad place. The cross and the empty tomb say today's a new day. Look to Jesus. He restores. He rebuilds. He will give you a new foundation that's built on Him and His promises. So even if you screwed up a million times over in the past, put your faith in him today. He helps you in the gap as we await his coming. And are you living your life as if 
Jesus has the power, not you. I've heard it said that prayer is how you get things done. You can plan your week out, but if we don't spend time in prayer, where's the power really in our Christian walk? Let our power be found in Jesus, the risen Savior, the God of the unexpected. And this morning, I want to invite you to meet with him right here, right now. After we're done singing, Pastor Dennis and I will be in the back. Our church family will be around. If you have questions about King Jesus, his gospel, how do I put my faith in him? You know, I put my faith in him. I need to be baptized. I need to, to join a local church and a family and, and really be devoted to Jesus and his ways. We're here for this. Let's talk. We love you. The good news is not for ours to hold on to ourselves, but to give to you as well. Let me pray for you wherever you are spiritually. And if we can be helped with that, we will be happy to serve you.